the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. Welcome back into the Cover 3 College Football Podcast on CBS. This is the 24-7 Sports Around the Clock series where we talk about some of the top teams in the country with the people who know them best. That's the experts from our team sites. Today, we're talking UCLA. When we talk UCLA, this is the place to go on the internet. I'm not just saying it because it's our corner of the internet. Bruin Report Online has been the spot. Dave Woods knows exactly what he's talking about. Dave, how long has Bruin Report Online been around? Uh, wow. Tracy started this thing way back when it was the insiders in, I think, 1998. So old school message board. As as long as the internet's been around, uh, Tracy's been doing it for uh, Bruin Report Online. Awesome. All right. So what we do here, if you guys are new, we put 15 minutes on the clock. We kind of go general to specific. If you really enjoy what you hear, go ahead and head on over to VRO and, uh, and give them a subscription. Check out the message boards. Awesome insider content. Great community of Bruin fans over there. So 15 minutes are on the clock starting now. Dave, I pulled up the Vegas odds. Just Mm -hmm. starting there, I kind of want to get your feel for what the general expectations are for this team. They have the over-under for the win total at seven. Is that crazy or is it okay? What what, what are we thinking? I think think it's right, and I think it has to be right for Chip Kelly uh, going forward at UCLA. This is going to be his fourth year. Uh, I think anything less than seven wins is going to put him pretty firmly on a hot seat, um, potentially even uh, beyond that. Uh, Seven wins, I think, has got to be the bar for him uh, going into this year, and I think it's reasonable. Um, Even with the losing record last year, UCLA was a much better team um, in 2020 than it was in 2019. Uh, The defense had gotten figured out to an extent. The offense took a leap with Dorian Thompson-Robinson hitting his junior leap. Uh, So seven wins, I think... You could even maybe squint and take an over bet there. All right. And then third, or tied with Utah for the third favorite in the division, kind of also fair in that range, I would assume. Yeah, I would say. I mean, I think there's upside. I think the South is not necessarily um, a done deal for anybody at this point, the Pac 12 South. Um, so I think they're one of a few teams that has a chance um, to take the division, but I think it's a fair assessment to have them tied with Utah right now. All right, so this works out perfectly. We'll kind of talk about what they need to do to exceed. If they did fall short, how do you see that potentially happening? I'll start on offense with the run game. Uh, last year, Felton was an absolute beast for them, and his his efficiency numbers were really off the charts. What do they do to replace him? Yeah, this one's uh, definitely an interesting point because Demetric Felton was the heart and soul of that offense last year, uh, doing a little bit of everything, catching the ball, running the ball. I mean, he proved himself as a between-the-tackles running back in a way that even we were skeptical, um, you know, having watched him a lot, that he was going to be able to do over the course of a full season, and then he did it. 
Um, but UCLA actually did have another guy emerge last year in Britton Brown, the Duke transfer, who's coming back again uh, for this coming year, where I think for the first healthy time since his freshman season at Duke, uh, he showed what he could do. I think he averaged six and a half uh, yards per carry. And then they also got an impact transfer in Zach Charbonnet uh, from Michigan. Uh, between those two guys, uh, you're looking at um, potentially a little bit more physicality, a little bit more size uh, to the running back room. But actually, that wouldn't that wouldn't top the list of concerns. I think the running back uh, game, the run game in general, should be figured out with not only two pretty good running backs, but also um, seven the top seven offensive linemen from last year returning. Speaking of that offensive line, uh, I, I know before I joined 24-7, I, I saw Sean Ryan a couple times at various camps. I knew some guys on UCLA staff. They were very high on him. How was how, how he working out there in UCLA? Uh, uh, glowing, glowingly. Um, he's, been, uh, he's been everything he was built to be. Um, basically a starter from day one, um, hasn't really missed any time, and has been uh, exactly what they wanted him to be, both run and pass protection. Uh, but one of the big standouts from last year actually was Alec Anderson on the other side um, at right tackle. Uh, he, um, you know, they were looking for that bookend, somebody who could handle the other side. And uh, he stepped in after backing up the previous year and was at times uh, right there with Ryan and as the best offensive lineman on the team. When I look at some of the efficiency numbers, obviously the UCLA is going to have, I think, pretty good blocking this year. You already mentioned with Britton Brown and, and Charbonnet. But some of the areas that light up on my screen in red are uh, the outside receiver area and then the the downfield passing, especially just the when it wasn't off play action. Yeah. Is that DTT or or DTR or is it uh, is it the receiver room? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's um, somewhat the offense, too. Um, the way this offense works, it's a lot of tight end, a lot of tight end. And um, there's just a limitation, I think, to the amount of explosive plays they're going to get out of that group. But it's a very tight end focused offense. You know, they'll they'll uh, relatively often you'll even see two and three tight ends out there. Um, it's not like it's every play, but you'll see it. Um, and so the outside receivers, it generally ends up being a very tight rotation of guys and there and there's a lack of explosion in that group i think there's a lack of top end speed um and that plays a role there i mean you've got guys like chase coda who's a good you know kind of physical guy but again he looks he's six four pretty big he's more like a tight end um so i think it's it's a combination of personnel i think for dtr he got better at it last year um but it's still a work in progress him reading things downfield and making those kind of decisions uh deep down the down the field he was an interesting prospect, if I recall, because he was backing up Tate Martell yeah. at, 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 uh, at what Gorman, I believe, in, in, in Vegas. And then he actually hadn't played like that much football. It, it, how much no. upside do you think there is just with him having more experience? Still a tremendous amount of upside with Dorian. He's still at the very, uh, not very beginning, but he's still in the beginning stages of learning to play the position. Uh, if you remember, I mean, if you look back at Bishop Gorman, he was a wide receiver until his junior year. Um, and then he backed up Martell and he played second halves because Gorman was blowing everybody out. Uh, but he didn't start until his senior year. Um, so it's been uh, a big work in progress for him, just kind of developing as a player. And as a, there's also this leadership element of it that he had to develop that as well. Um, you know, there's something to being the quarterback for a team and some of those, the mentality to kind of get guys up and get them moving and that sort of thing was stuff that he had to develop. Um, and he's grown a lot in all of those interpersonal areas and as well as his play on the field. 
there's still a lot of untapped upside, but if you look at his stats from freshman and sophomore year to his junior year, he absolutely took that kind of classic junior leap. And now a lot of people are expecting him to, now that he's hit his stride a little bit, make that second leap his senior year. The, the last time I've seen some of these guys in person, I'm just thinking back to some of these camps out there in LA, there, there was the camp. It was, Dor- it was Dorian was there. And then uh, JC Daniels was there prior to him reclassifying, right? He, he was still right. a member of the class of, whatever year that was after Trevor and, and Justin, if I recall. Um, but another guy who kind of busted out at, at that L.A. Nike camp back when Nike sponsored the opening uh, was uh, Michael Izige. Did, mm-hmm. is, he, is he still around? I'm just kind of curious. This is kind of personal thing. How is he developing? He is. Um, so he showed up a little bit his freshman year. Uh, he got a few reps on the field, and then it's been kind of a mystery. Um, he hasn't played at all. He's now moved to tight end. Um, it, he wasn't. So when I saw him his freshman year, he wasn't a purely natural runner downfield. And so I think it might've been a convincing thing to get him to move to tight end. Uh, but also I just think there were some things where just working out, um, you know, how to commit to a college program, like all that kind of stuff that goes into developing as a player. It took him a little bit longer, um, this spring, you know, I think he was, he was moving to tight end, looked a little bit more natural there. So the hope is that he can start to make an impact because that tight end room is starting to get a little bit dicey behind Greg Dulcich. You know, you got Mike Martinez, who there's been a lot of speculation for his entire career that maybe he's an offensive lineman playing tight end, um, but he hasn't shown the natural hands of this long litany now of Caleb Wilson, Devin Asiasi, and now Greg Dulcich. So looking for that guy who's going to come in after Dulcich and, uh, you know, and fill those shoes is is the next big step, and maybe it's a ZK. So receiver-wise, it seems like that's maybe the most – uncertain position on on the offense just just from from here and you hear if they're going to get to eight or nine wins in a regular season which would be you know a, a nice step forward and honestly eight nine wins might get you to the south yeah who has to step up for them in the receiver room i think they're still going to work through the tight end i think it's still greg dulcich but i think um on top of that uh kyle phillips has been mr reliable uh from the jump and i think he can still do it one x factor i would watch out for so phillips is a slot receiver Another guy who's going to play a similar role but has just moved over from running back is Casimir Allen. Okay. Uh, he's up there with the fastest guys on the team. Um, so he had moved like the last week of spring ball. Um, he's up there with the fastest guys on the team. He had started to show a little bit last year, um, was in and out of the lineup, but he'd started to show a little bit at running back. He might be a guy who could fill a little bit of that Demetric Felton jack-of-all-trades role and might provide them some actual speed. Um, at receiver. So if you're looking for somebody who might break out a little bit, uh, he's, he's certainly one to watch. Awesome. Uh, obviously they're, you know, they had a top 25, like opponent adjusted efficiency offense last year. It, it's interesting to me that, that chip was, was all spread at Oregon uh, up tempo. They tempo is still there in, in many cases. It looks like when, when I watch him, but the, has he, does he think he's found like an inefficiency with the reliance of the tight end? Is that something, has he spoken about this at all? Uh, no, I mean, chip doesn't, chip. Chip, chip, chip doesn't get too effusive with the media, but uh, I think that's a big part of it. He thought he, he thinks he's found, um, I think just with the way he can move around tight ends, he can really disguise what he's trying to do, um, pre-snap and, and he can set up the blocking exactly the way he wants it. And I completely get it. It's been a curiosity for all of us. I think from seeing when chip Kelly was hired in November, 2017, and watching this develop, because right now I would say UCLA, if you go back to 2008, they're still pretty fast relative to 2008. But with the way tempo offices grew quickly after that, um, this is a middle tempo offense. It, it can sometimes go relatively fast, but we're still not talking much more than, 
I don't know, 20 seconds per snap on the play clock. Um, you know, those high, those, those super fast ones at Baylor and Oregon were doing it 16 by the time, uh, by the time chip was done. So it's been a curiosity. And I think, you know, I think there's going to be, if this doesn't work out for chip, I think that's going to be one of the postmortems is, well, why didn't, why didn't they ever try to still utilize that thing where the true masters of tempo can still eke out an inefficiency there. They can still really get a comparative advantage, uh, but he's chosen not to. Um, and it's working to an extent. The top 25 offense is nothing to sneer at, uh, but it's taken a while to get here. Now, switching from something that worked pretty well last year to something that was uh, a little more suspect, and that, that's the defensive side of the ball. I know Bill Connolly had him 81st in the country. Passing off or passing defense, not great, but not terrible. I'm going to th- I'm going to throw you some numbers for the run defense and just yes. do these make sense in your head? Uh, now, they're only 11th in rushing explosiveness allowed. So it seems like they didn't give up the big 80-yard run that often. Dave, 125th in rushing success rate allowed, which is kind of that down-to-down, everybody getting four yards of first down whenever they want kind of feeling like. Yeah, that sounds very right. Um, So what UCLA was last year, especially in the first half of the year, was um, they were attempting to be boom or bust. Well, they they wanted fewer busts, but they were attempting to be boom or bust, and that was actually a major improvement over the previous two years. They were getting a bunch of TFLs, a lot more sacks. They were generating disruption, but they were having to send five, six guys to do it, which normally you would think that leads to more explosive plays. But the issue was middle linebacker was a major weakness for UCLA all year. Uh, Bo Calvert, it was his first year starting in there and not trying to kill the guy at all. It was his first year starting after playing one game the previous year, and it was a struggle. Um, and I think he's coming into this year. He looks a little bit improved in spring practice, but I think there's room for somebody else to maybe seize that job. Uh, but middle linebacker was a huge weakness. And then safety play in the run game was dicey. Um, a lot of poor angles, some poor tackling, um, and the combination of just that middle of the defense behind that defensive line, which wasn't super bulky to start out with, uh, made it so run run offense could get what they needed up the middle. Um, and that was a huge issue. It's something there. I think it was a trade-off going to this, essentially this four, two, five defense was there was going to be some run efficiency that drops off. Uh, but I don't think they were expecting it to this extent. So they, they do have to replace If my notes are correct on this, and if I'm wrong, please do correct me. But uh, Odigizawa is gone, right? Yep. One, one of their you know better defensive lineman, at least by, by the numbers. What? How yeah. are they going about, about replacing him? And I got to ask you now about Jay Toya. Like we, we, we timed this interview up pretty well. I know we, did, we delayed it for about two weeks. Yeah, uh, I, I spoke with Sam Webb, our Michigan publisher, when, when I was down at IMG over the weekend for the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. And he's like, man, Jay Toya was going to start for Michigan. Like, no yeah. doubt. He's a good player. And at, are you expecting the same at UCLA? Well, by all accounts at USC during spring practice, he was uh, not just among the incomers, one of the best, but potentially one of the best players on that defense uh, coming out of spring ball. So that's very exciting um, given how talent stock USC always is Uh, for UCLA. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely room for him to potentially start and if not play a ton because you do have to replace it to I think it's going to be dependent on that final little piece of eligibility getting confirmed, which is the the weird NLI rule that's kind of separate from the other part, which is the residency requirement. I, I think it's going to get figured out, but we'll see. Um, but if that does, then yeah, I think it, there's there's room for him to play significantly immediately. Um, as for other names, in terms of production, I think you can see Mitchell Agude uh, taking on a bigger role. He came on last year. Um and he was, he was pretty solid. Um, he could take on a, another bigger role. He looked bigger and stronger and faster this spring. 
Um, and then there's guys like Tyler Manoa have been around. Otita Ogbonia kind of gives you that huge bulky guy. He's about 330 pounds and 6'5". He could provide some run stuffing, but I don't think you're going to find somebody who's pound for pound Odigazua in terms of his ability to knife in the backfield, but also play much bigger than his 280 uh, weight. If, uh, if this defense makes a jump from 81st to, let's say, 40th, mm-hmm. obviously that would be a huge help. How does that happen? For me, I think it's um, finding a different answer at middle linebacker. Um, so I, they had a transfer come in uh, this spring in Jordan Genmark Heath uh, at, um, at weak side linebacker, but that's a position where they already have Caleb Johnson, who was arguably the best player on the defense last year. One of those two guys, in order to get both of them on the field, I think you've got to switch one of them to Mike. That's a thing that might happen by the fall. Um, Bo Calvert just wasn't the answer. He might not be a pure inside linebacker. He might be a better suit at outside, uh, but they've got to figure that out. Um, so much depends on that position, the, their ability to run down tackles and, and shore up the run game. And if they don't get that figured out, I think it's going to be a they'll be really hard pressed to even get up into the top 60, let alone top 40. Gotcha. And then it, obviously I think the, if they were to somehow get worse, I don't even know if I want to ask that question because they're already first uh-huh. last year. Is It's just the not replacing Odigazua and the linebacker uh, not yeah, working out, I guess. Yeah. In a disaster scenario, which I, I, I don't think is likely, but in a disaster scenario, it would be that the middle of the defense got weaker and Odigazua leaving and they didn't find anything to shore up middle linebacker or safety. Because if the middle of the defense weakens, especially up front, then you're looking at just running lanes galore into uh, tacklers who aren't, you know, up for the job. So I think that's, you probably hit the nail on the head. Um, I think there's, there's going to be improvement just because this is the second year for them in what is de facto the new scheme. Uh, it was Brian Norwood's, the defensive back coach, what he brought over from Navy, the four, two, five. So I think there's going to be that natural improvement guys have in the second year in a scheme, but yeah, the, the disaster scenario is certainly always live with UCLA. <laughs> I, we're actually going to have to kick this thing in overtime because the 15 minutes is up. Um, I want to ask you about, I was really fascinated by some of the stuff Chip was doing in recruiting when he, when he first got out there. I mean, I, I'm a guy that like, likes data and analytics and obviously recruiting. So it just, it, it meshed pretty well. And I, to me, it was kind of like a little puzzle trying to fit together what he was doing and offering some of these kids. And, and uh, do you think it's worked? No. Okay. No. I, so I think, um, I think it's a really nice idea. Um, I think the idea of being selective, um, making the UCLA offer something to be prized. Um, I think that's a really nice idea. And I like the evaluation idea where you look at these guys and you try to do a whole holistic evaluation to make sure they're good students, make sure they're going to fit to potentially reduce transfer rate, to reduce attrition, to uh, all these things that make programs like Jim Morris, for example, pretty volatile, you know, where you recruit really well, but then 10 of those guys are gone the next year. Um, so I, I, I think that approach can work. Um, I think what it ultimately was is the execution was off. Um, and also the theory that you can only off that you, if you offer, you know, 80 people that will make it exclusive by itself. Um, the reality was that's a, that's a philosophy contingent upon winning. You have to win to make that work because you have to make it feel exclusive Alabama. If they wanted to do it that way, they could, but you don't really see Alabama doing that. You don't really see the, these big time recruiting powers do it. They're recruiting like everybody else. They're just doing it with more energy and more cachet. Uh, UCLA was trying to do something different, um, something even more extreme than Stanford. And I think to do that, you needed to win and not look embarrassingly bad when you were doing it. So 
maybe it works in a future scenario, but for what they were going to produce on the field, it was, it was essentially a non-starter and they've gone away from it to an extent. Um, I think they're still limiting the number of offers they're putting out there, but they're recruiting with a little bit more energy um, and a little bit earlier. Some of these guys who they've identified as top prospects. What one thing I'm, I'm trying to ask all the guys who cover pro- programs where they have a head coach who started in 2018 is about that first class. I, I think people sometimes will forget, especially because of COVID and the, the you know the adaptation of the transfer portal. That those first classes that guys sign in the early signing period era, that being the first one that anybody had to do. Uh, I, I've been looking at this. Some of these attrition rates and just kind of bust rates are are really off the charts. Has that been an issue for UCLA as well? Out of that 2018 class or the 2019 class? Out of the the 2018, the the first one that that, that he signed. Yeah, I would say the attrition rate wasn't – it wasn't extreme, but a couple of the, like, top guys in that class got lopped off pretty quickly. So Chris Murray, who was going to be a four-year starter on the offensive line, he was gone after two years. Elijah Wade uh, played one year. Um, so two of the guys who were four stars in that class were basically gone immediately. Matt Alimo was gone pretty quickly. Um, so I wouldn't say the, and again, I'm using the Jim Mora curve here, which is, uh, you know, about a 40% attrition rate. <laughs> um, so it wasn't that, but I think for, uh, for the limited high end talent that UCLA has been getting under chip, I think that was actually a, a pretty, two pretty big blows in Wade and Murray both being gone within a couple of years. If you look back on this, I, I don't want to take this in a too negative way. Sure. Are they going to look back on Chip Kelly's time at UCLA just based on the results so far and say, shoot, that was a missed opportunity with, with, with USC kind of screwing around and spinning its wheels? Well, and it's not just um, – I, I think that is going to be part of the narrative, but it's not just uh, Chip Kelly. Uh, you don't want to pin too much on him because I think Jim Mora also missed yeah. that opportunity um, because USC has been in flux now for – 13 years, essentially, um, you know, between Lane Kiff and Steve Sarkeesian, now Clay Helton. Uh, Clay Helton's the most obvious bad coach among the bunch. He still manages to get like eight or nine wins a year, but he's, you know, he is what he is. Um, so it is a missed opportunity for UCLA. Uh, but I think for on the optimistic end, uh, the fact that UCLA went out and hired Chip Kelly in November 2017, that's something UCLA never did before. They never identified the top guy on the market and said, we want him and we're going to get him. They never produced that kind of money. They never produced the funding for the program. The, the, the amount of money Chip Kelly's program costs at UCLA would make, I mean, would make Rick Neuheisel cry because he just wanted gloves, man. He didn't need a, a full nutrition system. Uh, the investment that UCLA has put into the program over the last decade, starting with the football facility, starting with everything they did for Mora, and then continuing on through hiring Kelly and all this stuff. I think for UCLA fans, it's still worthwhile to be optimistic about the general future. There's still a lot of potential there. Will it be with Chip Kelly? Who knows? I mean, it, it, a lot depends on this year. But I think for UCLA generally, yeah, missed opportunity this last decade in terms of what actually happened on the field. But there's a lot of potential for this program if that investment continues. I, that's a really good point. If if for some reason it didn't work out, I'm I'm actually pretty excited to see UCLA this year on the Me field. Too. Just yeah, I mean, with with how experienced they are, I, Chip is still really creative. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out, but like I, you figure with a team with this much experience, I think they're what number three or four in Bill Connolly's returning production. Yeah maybe number one amongst power five teams, you got to figure he's going to have some really crazy stuff to trot out there that because everybody knows the base system now. Oh, I mean, 
look, Chip Kelly could make a running game out of you and me. Um, <laughs> like it's it, he, it, he's a maestro when it comes to crafting the ability to run the ball. Um, and so that's why I'm saying between seven returning offensive linemen, two big backs, there's going to be no problem there. And I think this offense will take even another leap up from top 25 generally to top 15, top 10 generally. Um, it's just the defense. That's the question mark. But I think the defense was fun to watch last year. The previous two years, it was only fun. If you were a sadist, uh, this past <laughs> year, it was actually enjoyable. Um, so if we see that again, um, and we just see an enjoyable defense and the offense takes a step up, then you're going to be looking at a fun above 500 team because you'll have a couple of non-conference patsies, sorry, Hawaii and Fresno state in there to beef up the record. Um, but uh, it's just if that defense or if the offense, for whatever reason, somebody gets hurt or whatever. But I think there's reason to be optimistic. This season will at least be enjoyable for UCLA fans, which is, look, it's been it's been five pretty rough years. I think they'll take it. Awesome. Dave, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a whole lot of fun, and we, we need to have you on again soon. Maybe we'll do a postmortem on the season uh, we'll, yeah. when it's all done, and we'll, we'll review what we said here. Guys, if you want more like this, go to Bruin Report online. I mean, it's there's nowhere close. It's the spot to be for all the great UCLA content and the VIP message board features they have. Awesome recruiting coverage as well. Uh, Dave, you want to tell them where, where they can follow you on Twitter? Sure. Uh, David David Woods, uh, at David David Woods, and then uh, BruinReportOnline.com. Awesome. All right, guys. Be well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.